0: So, Lord, we're here this uh, beautiful morning after the rain, the the sun, the Christmas of this fall day. A gift from Your hand for us, Lord. It's good for us to praise You when we do it, and we do it with a right heart. Things open up inside of our spirit. It's like opening up the window, letting You come in. I want to ask You to bless us and to be with us. I'm going to assume, Lord, that everyone who's come at some level has come because there's something of a desire to, to be here or an openness towards you. And so as we prepare to engage this word this morning, I ask that you would speak to us about things that pertain to our attitudes and how we think about you and how that affects how we, we relate to others who are in need of, of grace and forgiveness And so I really want to invite you, Lord, to come and work in our hearts as we take time to think about you and listen for you. Um, Don't just be the God of yesterday who used to do great things, but be a God who is present and near. We ask this. Speak in your name, we pray. Amen, Lord. Uh, Before I, I jump in here, you know, periodically on the C5 section, there'll be different things that we will... the the c5 is a highlight but i'm going to highlight one of the highlights and that will be the c4 and uh, c4 has to do with the operation christmas child and i know it's like wow we're it's a long way off but this is one of the things that our church has been participating in now for a few years and uh, you can see a little bit about it there are these these handouts as well but um it came up because, you know, what happens is you, these are, you make a shoebox, and you, you fill it with different things, and it talks about just it's a very small thing to do. But next week's the last week. Our church is collecting those, and then we're going to be shipping them off as part of a large global movement, really, that's been going on for a, a many years now. The Operation Christmas Child works through Samaritan's Purse. Why this came up was that, you know, in the last couple of days we've had, many of us were at a men's retreat, at least a good number of us were in that retreat, The speaker was a man by the name of Kirk Nowry. Kirk Nowry is the direct assistant to Franklin Graham, who is the president and CEO, really the the originator of Samaritan's Purse, which is a global uh, relief organization that is really devoted to just doing good in Jesus' name. They were, in fact, the first ones in to North Korea with medicine, millions of dollars worth of medicine. They were the first Westerners allowed in. some remarkable things that he was just telling us on the side. He wasn't even talking about the Samaritan's Purse, but some certain stories he brought up, one of the things he brought up was about this different people who were working in their organizations. In fact, he had us listen to a surgeon who was being directly uh, Skyped to us in the middle of that meeting from some remote region in Kenya. This, this surgeon who, had, who has devoted his life to ministering in Jesus' name, serving two, uh, 250,000 people with one doctor. And uh, he was talking directly to us. There was not one of us who were, who were there, honestly, who weren't seriously moved um, to just, we were humbled. We were humbled because we got a chance to hear a, a hero, someone who had worked so hard and completely, <laughs> instead of taking what our culture would say are the fruits of your success, went and, and said, there's not enough money I could ever make to justify all the things I got through to get to this point, he says. But I didn't do it for that. And he went and he accepted a position. And you know that was a nice story until we actually heard him. And when we started hearing him talk to us for, well, the whole thing ended up being about forty minutes long. Very powerful. It made you feel bad. It made you honestly. It made you feel ashamed for having uh, an attitude uh, that was was not worthy. you know, it's hard to complain about how tough we have it when you see someone who's worked so hard to then just give his life away in total obscurity just to be a blessing. And I was extraordinarily moved um, by it. One of the things he told us was this story about when he had been he had gone back to the States to get advanced training on plastic surgery and there was a lady that had been in the village. She had a cleft lip, you know, one of those, those things you see in the papers a lot of times, so that she felt so ashamed by it that she wore a scarf and didn't want anybody to see her face. And one of the great gifts he said of his life was being able to, to perform, perform surgery at advanced level on this woman. And, and he talked about how that moment came where she saw her face. And he said it it, it, it was a miracle. He it did the joy. And the first time that she didn't feel like she had to wear, I mean, it was just stuff like that. And I was like, I was wrecked. I, I, was, I, was, I was like, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You know, <laughs> I mean, I won't complain. You know, thank you. You know, it was one of those things. And, and then he talked about this, this other, and so he was introducing different people in the organization. And, and boy, this is not the, I need to hurry up here. So, but he was talking about this, uh, this girl who now speaks on behalf of Samaritan's Purse, and I'm not going to get this story totally right, but because it's just totally something I remember him talking about. One the reason it's the reason there's a connection. She was a girl in, in some Eastern European country that was extraordinarily they were impover, they were the impoverished of the impoverished, and uh, in that region, and she didn't even have shoes. That 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 you know, I was, as I was talking about shoes a few weeks back about the prodigal and how. So many of us have, a num- you know, so many shoes. And I thought, you know, it, it is rare that, um, but there are still, in the days of Jesus, you know, those were not taken for granted. And in third world countries, it's still not taken for granted. Um, that gives you safety from things. A covering. And this particular girl did not have a family who had the ability to buy her new shoes or to get her even used shoes that were in relative condition. So they had to put, not just take, they, put, they said they she put wire around her shoes, and she was made fun of. And uh, all her life, she had talked about, you know, that, that the reason it came up is because the Samaritan's purse. One of the things they do around Christmas time is they they make these boxes, and all of us, you know, it's like it's a really great thing to do with your kids, just to remind them that Christmas is also about giving; it's not just about getting. But it's not just for kids. Uh, Anyway, they distribute these boxes. They're shoe boxes, but they're not supposed to have shoes in them. Uh, they, they have all these other things that are listed there, you know, little toys, special supplies, talk about hygiene items. They're just little things that you could get at Target or Walgreens. And you stick it in the box, you bring it, there's like, a, you write a $7 something and then it's sent off. It's just a blessing in Jesus' name. Well, they were distributing these boxes and in this region and she got one. And they said it was just a a freak thing, but when she opened up her box, there were a pair of shoes in it. And she went back, she was just overwhelmed, and um, thought that, she saw everybody got shoes. <laughs> yeah, right? But she was the only, really, he said, you know, it's just a one in a million thing. Millions of boxes are passed out, and she got the shoes. And she went back, and she said, well, who, who gave us, where did this come from? They said, it came from America. And they said, well, who gave us, uh, they said, uh, Jesus was given, so she said, so she went back home and says, I got these shoes from America from a man named Jesus, (laughs) and that started a dialogue, but now she goes, and uh, older, evidently, is she shares this story, because that sent her on a journey, and eventually, she's now part of Samaritan's Purse, and it's part of their story, and uh, so I said all that to just uh, tell you to bring a box if you can, (laughs) and uh, so, and um, I'm not going to tell you not to put shoes in there, but that's not what you're supposed to do. Lost at home. It is possible to be lost at home. Prodigal was lost in a far country, and he came home. Prodigal's brother, well, we'll see. Uh, Jesus tells us a story. He gave us stories. Remember, he was talking to people who were very locked up because they were having a problem. Some of the Pharisees and religious leaders who respected Jesus were nonetheless having a problem with the way that he was interacting with people that, in their paradigm, you were not, if you were a holy man, to be interacting with. That they were people who had, by virtue of their own choices, chosen a direction in life that caused them to be outside, by their own choice, of God's concern. And so, the Pharisees didn't mix with the publicans and the sinners, and Jesus violated that. Now, see, we look at that we go, well, you know, it's just, it's like, doesn't, how could they be like that? But for where they were, it made sense. And we talked about that. But Jesus didn't do that. And they were offended and bothered, agitated. And so he gave them stories. The third piece of his three, three panels was the story of the prodigal son, the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, and lost sheep was first. And then he, he starts, and we, you know, we're going to pick up because we've spent so much time uh, looking at Prodigal, looking at Rembrandt's painting, looking at s- the story, thinking about what it means for us to come home. So we're just going to jump in quickly and not re- go back into depth, but just to Keep moving here from verse 20 in your, in your handout or in your scripture. You can read this with me. It says, He rose prodigal. He came to his father, but he, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. And he ran to him, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, as he had intended to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember, he was going to say something else. But he got cut off. But the father said to his servants, "Bring out the best robe, put it on, and put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. We're going to have a feast. Let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead; he's alive again. He was lost; he's found." And they began to rejoice and be merry. But and that's where we remember we said that would have been a nice ending. He's come home. He got it. God's forgiving. But Jesus. Added a twist. It was different than the other two smaller stories. He, threw, he, he turned back to a character that he'd only skimmed er, over earlier, the older brother, and he brings him back around into the fore. And he says, oh, and one more thing. Remember the older brother? Well, he was, we're told here, he was in the field, the older son. Now, that tells you, what he's saying is, he was working. No slacker, this boy. He's in the field. Prodigal had been living it up, squandered everything. The picture Jesus gives us is someone who has been at home, working, serving faithfully. And it says here, the older son was in the field. And when he, got, when he started to come near, coming back from where he had been working, he started getting closer to the house to, and he hears a bunch of noise and celebration and commotion and so one of the servants evidently is running by he calls him and he says what's the deal what's going on i don't know nobody told me about this and he said do you didn't hear the news what news your brother my brother your brother he's back we thought he was dead he's alive your f- oh you should see your father He's dancing around like he's a 30-year-old younger man. I mean, he's running out. He's so happy. He said that we're going to get the fatted calf, the special one, the one that we've been saving for the occasion. And we're going we're to have this feast. He just said we're going to have a great feast. And, and, and you know what? You better hurry up because it's on. <laughs> and it says here, therefore, when he heard it, and you go ahead. And Jesus says, he was angry. He was angry. The motion that begins to rise up in him, and it can happen fast in us, can it? A word said, a deed done, something not said, not done. A violation. Anger. It's amazing how fast that can move in us. He got angry. The words, far from penetrating him, it, it, it made him feel violated. He was angry. We're told here that he would not go in. He refused to go in. And finally, I'm assuming that the word got back to the father that his son wasn't coming in. Where is he? Didn't he hear the news? I told him. I told him what was going on. He knows about it. Well, where is he? This must be still out there. His father goes father leaves the party to find him. Goes out to him. Jesus says he starts to, and he could have used a number of words if he starts to plead with him begins to reason with him. He begins to engage him in a discussion. Let's talk about this. So now you know better than that. This is You, know, you get this picture of him trying to work with him to get past this thing. Come on. And it says as he's pleading with him because he, he wouldn't go in. And so Prodi- Prodigal's brother, the older brother, answers and says to his father, Father, look. And, and we're just given a, a a glimpse of the conversation. Jesus pulls it out of there, and he says, the the older son says to his father, father, look at this. I have these many, many years I have served you, and you know it. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. I've always done what you've asked. And yet you never gave me, (laughs) you never gave me a young goat. You never made a feast on my behalf for my friends, me to celebrate. But as soon as This son of yours comes home, he who has devoured our livelihood with harlots. You throw him a party. He doesn't deserve it, and I'm not going in. And if you think I I am, you're greatly mis... He doesn't even deserve to be back here. And you know what? He was right. If you want to get square about it and honest about it, he did deserve nothing. That was the point. In fact, prodigal himself... Admit it as much. Remember when he starts, he says, I am not worthy to what? He says it in verse, he says, I'm not worthy. I am not, he, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Basically what he's saying is, I don't deserve anything, nor do I have an expectation. And there is nothing to indicate there. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear that that was a genuine feeling, not a rehearsed way to manipulate his father. I'll pretend to be really, I'll, I'll get the, you know, I'll work him a little bit, get him to be more sympathetic. No, he meant it. He meant it. It wasn't false. It wasn't just courtesy. It wasn't just doing the right thing. He meant it. There is no expectation, no entitlement. I blew it. I lost it. I cashed it in. I, was, I, I, treated, I Look, I'm not interested in being your son. I understand I've lost that privilege. All I want to know is if I could get a job, if I could be a higher servant in your house, I'd be, I would be a blessing to me. He meant that. I deserved nothing. It was the father who had changed it. It was the father. He, had, he didn't even get a chance to make his case. He never suggested he deserved anything. His father comes out. His father is the one that runs to him. His father is the one that kisses him. His father is the one that says, bring out the, the robe and the ring and the royal sandals, right? Bring it all out. Bring it all and, and, and let's get the calf and throw a party. And I don't want to hear any more about it. And you're not going to finish your speech. I already made up my mind. You're back home. I'm happy you're alive. You were dead. You're back, to me, back where you belong. Let's celebrate. He didn't even pretend to deserve it. He was happy. His father was the one. His father was the one. And you see, and the gracious treatment by his father, which he probably had only heard about, tore into the older brother at a very deep level once it got back to him and his anger seethed as, he, as if he had been personally violated by it. So he, again, is the. what Jesus is saying is the older son is being revealed here as equally lost, but just in a different way. That in many ways, he is lost, although he's never gone to the far country, he is lost at home. And that is a thrust, I mean, one of the most... Fascinating things to consider is how Jesus chooses to... See, we talk about Rembrandt's painting, and it, it's a, its it been a lot of life living out of his painting, the return, to watch his interpretation. Jesus also paints, but he painted with his words. And he basically gave us two pictures. He says, here's the picture I'm giving you of the prodigal. Now, you know what? When we look at the painting that Jesus gives us of the prodigal, we are compelled. Yeah, it's true he was... You know, a fool. He was naive. He was proud. He thought he knew better. He was reckless. He spent everything. He wasted everything. But the way Jesus p- paints it, got. But he, But you know what? You, you you sort of are drawn towards him because there's such a genuineness to him in his brokenness. And when we get back, when he comes home, he's so authentic. He's so real. He's so uh, willing to acknowledge his wrong that when when we we want to forgive. We want it, it, we want the father to say you. You come home. It makes, that's the God we serve, the forgiving Lord. And prodigal, I mean, always, I've read this parable, this story, since I was a boy. And I've always been drawn towards prodigal. Because we all know what it's like to fail and be broken and need forgiveness. And there's something about him and about his brokenness that appeals to us. And Jesus did that. Jesus intentionally moved us to view him with sympathetic eyes. He could have told the story any way he wanted to, but he told it this way. But how is the older brother revealed? How does he come across? He comes across different. Interesting, when Rembrandt paints him, he's he painted him as aloof. But Jesus actually shows him as someone who's really angry. So angry that he won't even go in. In fact, he's not in the picture. Jesus, Jesus shows him as someone who, who is pretty. Pretty difficult to embrace. He's—I I was thinking about—I was thinking about how he how he presents him. I mean, he's kind of comes across here as resentful, petty, judgmental. Uh, he's rigid. He's unmoved. I mean, we're left to wonder: Is there no compassion in this guy? How could he be such a baby and not love his brother? His brother's been dead. What's wrong with him? He, you know, can he really be that small-hearted? He had stayed at home, he had behaved himself, he had worked hard, but beneath the veneer of his propriety, listen, this is what Jesus is saying, there lurked a lovelessness that leaves us cold when we see it and feel it. He's like what Mark Twain, and Mark Twain, some of you, when you read some of this stuff, I always, when I read Mark Twainism, I scratch my head for a bit. And I just go, wow, this guy has a way of saying something. But the older brother is what Mark Twain referred to as a good man in the worst sense of the word. You think about that one for a moment. A good man in the worst sense of the word. That is, he, he was good, but in a legalistic sort of way. And you, didn't, you don't have much fun being around that kind of person, it's all about the rules. Yeah, Good man in the worst sense of the word. The older brother honestly represents the Pharisees in this story. And the Pharisees, in, like the older brother, couldn't process this reckless forgiveness. It didn't compute. It did not compute. You know what they're like? Many of us have heard the musical. I, we, I talk about it. It's one of my favorites. You know, Victor Hugo's The Miserable, and it's the book itself, and then there's the musical, and both of them, and there's a film, too. There's, there's, they all have a different impact. But one of the things that comes out is so clearly that in many ways, um, Javert, the, the one who is on the hunt, the just good man, he, in, in so many ways, is like this older brother because, and the Pharisee because he's locked up. He has clear lines of good and bad. Bad people are bad people. And so when he comes across what Jean Valjean he and the reality that, that there has been a change in this man for ever he is always prisoner what 24601 oh, you always be men do not change that's the point it's like he doesn't deserve it he violated it. And I was saying why was the older brother having such a hard time with this you know what because I think just like in the play it was for him a justice issue. It was a justice issue. And a lot of times you and I, we feel like you know, it's just not right. And I could see him coming to his father and saying, Father, you know, this is not right. He comes, he does all this, he takes our money, he spends it, he wastes it. And then you come here. Okay, you know, I get the idea. Let him back, but you're gonna throw him a party. This is not right. There should be consequences to your behavior. You, he made choices. He decided this is what he he wanted. For for heaven's sake, he wasted the money on prostitutes. What's wrong with you? How are you gonna celebrate him? I mean, it's powerful. Come on, don't throw him a party. It's wrong. It's not just. It's not right. This is. You see him. He's struggling. He should pay. He should pay. And, and as you see, look at this even more closely, when you see that in that 29th verse, you get the impression that there's something even more going on here. Part of it looks like it's a bit of a rivalry for the Father's love. And I know we might be moving into that a little bit, but I think it's, it's, it comes across a lot unclear when he says, you never did this for me. You never did this for me and, and my friends. I, it, basically, no, but you, fa- you favor him over me. You love him more. You love me less. Otherwise, you would have done this. There's this idea, and, and 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 basically, it's almost like he's saying, "Look, I, I, I have been here. You don't, you don't think that that um, I, I have, I didn't want to maybe go off and do my own thing. Now all of a sudden, I'm getting drawn closer. I'm, I'm starting to hear it. You don't think I wanted to do my own thing? You don't think that there's a part of me that didn't want to?" To just get out and, and have a lot more fun. You think I've, I've, I've been doing this all these years for you? While he, you know, just just to do it. I mean, I mean, come on. I had those. I chose not to act on those things. I'm not going to celebrate him. He took off. He spent everything. He doesn't deserve to be honored. It's not right. It's not fair. And I won't do it. And besides that, you never did this for me. You can hear his hurt. It's coming out. It's powerful. And notice, verse 30, it says, but as soon, notice what he said is revealing. Verse 30, but as soon as this, not my brother, comes on. But as soon as what? This, your son. He's not my brother, he's your son. As soon as this, your son comes, son of yours comes, now you, you, sell, you make a celebration. You kill the fatted calf. So, Entrenched is his resentment, so firmly rooted in his scarcity mentality that he can't see him as his brother. He's your son. So what are the lessons for us? There's a couple of ones that just stand out. The Christian life is firstly about seeing ourselves as loved by God apart from anything we can ever do. It's about grace. It's about an undeserved gift. The older brother saw the father's favor as something that he could earn. In fact, in verse 29, again, he says, all these years I've served you. All these years I've served you. You owe me. I've earned it. This is what I've done for you. And the father, and then I'll just put verse 31 up, returns... And says this to him, he says, no, son, look, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Look what's going on. The older brother says, this is about what I've done. You owe me. This is about what I've done. Father says, you are. It's not about what you've done. It's about the fact that you're my son. One says it's about what I've done. The other one says it's about who you are to me. It's about relationship. It's not about what you've done. It's about what we have. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's about what I've done. You owe me. No, it's because you're my son and I love you. Don't. What are you talking about? We don't serve God to earn His love. We serve God because we are loved. Very important. Very important that we understand that. Not far behind that, and it really sits there with us as well, but an unhealthy Poorly formed, let's say, distorted understanding of our heavenly Father's love, and you can see it, will often lead to a lovelessness towards other people, and others, or a pettiness, or a. In other words, how we view God affects how we treat other people. It does. So what Jesus was saying was, my friends, the reason you don't understand why I'm with, why God would care about these people. Is because you don't understand his heart for you. When we, like the older brother, are, are um, moved to, to see love as being less of the issue and duty as more of the issue, there's that tendency to become self righteous. I did my duty, they didn't. Less compassionate. Because it's about keeping the rules. It's about legal, legal, being legal. It's about they did this. They don't deserve this. I did this. I deserve this. I'm blessed. You're not. You're blessed and it, it, because of what we do, not because of what he's done. It starts to create an environment where it's unhealthy. It's not life-giving. It's constrictive. It's, it's, it's suffocating. And you know what I can tell you is that many, and even, I'll say this, how many prodigals have been chased back into the far country because some loveless brother or sister didn't welcome them back with the, with the forgiveness of God, but had them jump through a bunch of hoops to get qualified again. And I understand the tension. I get that. I understand there are, there's a need to own things. I understand all that. But there's something about a lovelessness that kills things that God's trying to do, and it's the inability to really bless and forgive. I can tell you that I've seen a number of prodigals. I mean, part of the reason our church exists, I'm convinced of it as a people, as a community, is that one of our calls, one of our, our as, as real as, who, as, the, as the core of who we are, is that it's supposed to be a place for people to come back home. And I know people get hurt and wounded and offended, and they see hypocrisy, and there's a lot of, of, of stuff that is done in Jesus' name sometimes, and so people drift away, and people get mad, and people go off, people just sometimes drift off, and, and, and part of what we do, I think, is try to say, come back home where you belong. Father is calling you home. And this idea of the returning of the prodigals is very powerful. It connects with who we are as well. It's what Jesus talked about. And I'm just going to say that a lot of times um, our issue has to do with the lovelessness that flows out of a distorted perspective of who the Father is. And I'll close it up by saying it this way. And and we'll just say this as the final thought here. That it is possible, listen, to be in the Father's house and miss the Father's heart. Um, And I pray that never happens to me. It's possible to do our duty and miss the blessing. It's possible to... To do the right thing and to be in the wrong place, as it were. The the older brother, how could I say it? He was compliant but not in alignment. He did what he was supposed to do, but he could not sing the Father's song. He couldn't sing it. I won't go in. Come sing with me, son. Come sing over your brother. Come sing, because he was dead and he's been found. Come sing my song. I won't sing it. I can't. The Lord wants us to sing over people. The goodness and the grace of God, the kingdom is at hand. Blessed are you. He can't do that when we're locked up, angry, resentful, when we're not, when we're, not able to forgive. I'm not sure. You know what? I was thinking about it. Stay with me on this one. I'm not sure what hurt the father more. The, uh, the lack of love that his older son had towards his younger son, which I try to put myself, I mean, it's almost like, you know, don't you care about him? I mean, I, I have my children. We fight all the time. You know, that's just part of it. That's how, that's normal. There is normal stuff. But never get the impression that I don't love you, that we don't love each other. You, you, this is your brother this is your sister we love each other brothers love brothers and sisters we're family we forgive we look out for each other that's the way it's supposed to be quit fighting there's this, that film one time I, I saw it called Dad and Jack Lemon's in the film and his family is fighting at the table. And for a brief moment, he just gets up and he says, stop fighting. You're hurting me. I don't like, I, I, he couldn't, the people, he seen the people he loved fighting, in a moment where he came out of himself, he just caught everybody off guard. I don't like it when you fight. It was powerful, very powerful moment in that. And I thought, you know, what, what, what hurt the father more? The lovelessness that he was seeing? come on, man, he's your, bro, he's your brother. Or the fact that he had so completely misunderstood what it meant to be a son loved. What I'm saying is that he had misinterpreted sonship, that he had cheapened it. He had made it a transaction. He said, you know, all these years I've served you. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I did this. You owe me. And it's like I thought, it's like he's saying, you know, all, everything that I've done here, if anybody deserves it, it's me. You owe me. And as the father says, son, will, son, what are you talking about? Everything I have is yours. All that I have is yours. You are always with me. Don't do that. Don't make it about that. Don't cheapen what we have. Don't make it about doing your duty. At the end of this thing, it's about our relationship. It's about love, it's about who we are. You, know, you stop that. Don't say that. You come home. It's cold out here, you come home. Let's go inside. You come home. Let's go. Don't do that. Because when we, when, uh, all right, Lord, I pray. I pray that you would allow for some of this to affect us. Um, I don't know how it completely works in terms of what your spirit does and, and how you speak to us about the unique areas of our own lives where we're struggling with issues. Maybe some of us, Lord, we, we have gotten comfortable in our resentment. Maybe some of us have too cleanly embraced our, uh, our, our wound, and we we are locked up, we are unable to walk in the joy of the Lord, the Father's song we cannot sing. And I pray that you would remind us that part of what it means to serve you and to be in your house is to know your heart. And I suppose that learning how to live into your heart and learning how to sing your song is a big part of what it means to to follow you all the days of our life. And so I, I pray that as we bring this time to some point of closure and we, and we close with the song that we're going to have in our giving time, Lord, but really I pray that you would move, move on us, challenge us on things. Don't let us walk away unmoved, but remind us, Lord, remind us of things. Change our heart, move us in the right direction. Help us to be a people who live lightly, who become increasingly the better version of ourselves because of what you're doing in our lives. Help us to live well, live light, live for the glory of God that we sang about. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen, Lord. Amen. All right, you guys, let's have our time of giving, and we'll close out, all right? Let's honor the Lord together.